0: Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. And since 2016, Monica Shimonik has been coaching moms and dads as they navigate through the treacherous waters of the family law racket. Aside from workshops, which helps with specific problems, her 12-week signature course, The Best Interest of the Parent, uses a four-quadrant model to create robust healing and empowerment systems so that you control the narrative in your life, not the state. Use coupon code SLAMTHEGABLE to get 10% off the course, and all this will be in the podcast notes of how to get into her website right now i have an awesome guest he is bill coleman he is from the uk but in the past he was living in waterbury connecticut in 2002 after finding out his wife was having an affair he then filed for sole custody on monday on a particular monday however That Friday, four days later, his wife then accused him of sexual assault. Now, what ensued next was a custody case that went by the allegations of rape, which led to not only Bill Coleman's removal of his children to his wife, but into the realm of a criminal conviction, even though passing a polygraph, also a sophisticated state-of-the-art, Psychiatric and sexual testing, and all of which he passed with flying colors. The corrupt legal system twisted what was supposed to be the truth into their own narrative. An innocent man was sent to prison for 11 years. Bill Coleman had protested this sentence as he was labeled guilty by participating in a hunger strike that lasted seven years. And to this day, it is still The longest hunger strike in US history. Now, we also have, we're going to break this down into three separate segments because this spans three courts of law and distinct separate arrears family, criminal, and human rights. However, that all plays into the umbrella of custodial interference and parental alienation. So we're going to break this podcast down into three separate segments and we're going to discuss segment one which is um, the use of false allegations in the criminal case and process so i'm going to introduce and i'm proud to introduce bill coleman from the uk thank you bill for coming on the show
1: Uh, Hi, Marianne. Uh, You're welcome. And I just thank you so much for having me on. And I'm hoping what um, I have to say uh, about my case and in general will uh, help people uh, in general out there. Um, It's a uh, it's a really serious um, state of affairs when it comes to your children in your life. Mm -hmm. And
0: how did this all play out for you?
1: Um, well, <laughs> from a mental health point of view, not very well. Um, but it, it's, it, it's something that I think that blindsides you, you, especially when you have complete trust in the person that you're, uh, with. I mean, um, I was with somebody who I just couldn't even imagine um would uh, be somebody who would uh, lie that way she she was very laid back um and it's only really in hindsight when I look back and I did a lot of that when I was alone in prison cells and they isolated me for uh, months on end um to the point at which I even had a beard down to my navel believe it or not um but we'll get into that later on um But, you know, when when you think back and um, over those times and and I think there's a term for it called gaslighting, Mm -hmm. um, you 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 begin to recall things. Um, I do know her family was involved. Her brother um, uh, had admitted to me he was the mastermind behind everything um and um on one phone call when she and, and again i don't want to get ahead of things here but uh, there was a prior abduction to the uk and that's how i got them back uh, the children and how i got residential custody initially um you know um it, it, that admission told me that she uh, she wasn't working alone and also uh she would cry to me on the phone telling me that it was her family making her do it. And then there was a gap of two years before the next set of events happened. And um, so so my, 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 I'm hoping my goal here is uh, is to explain what happened to me in the criminal case, explained what happened to me in the family case, um, touch on what happened to me in the human rights um, case, and hopefully, and you rightly said it, the umbrella, of what um uh, has put me in the parental alienation um uh, genre and whilst my situation is very unique it is unique to every parent um and i hope to shed some light on its um which i think is really important on its genesis where the parental alienation come from so that um all parents can get a, a, a better understanding and perhaps formulate a single and collective plan of how to move forward. So uh, in a nutshell, and it's hard to do, as you know, Marianne, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. on these subjects uh, and you're uh, somebody who's experienced it yourself, um, it's hard to nutshell it. But, but it, uh, for now, that's, that as we go along, we'll expand, but that's, that's in a nutshell it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, your case is so multifaceted. And that's why you and I chose to break it down into three separate episodes. Yeah. There was just so much to talk about and these false allegations have got to stop. And they're, you know, I know they're working on, um, trying to do so, but it's going to take so long for them to do it.
1: I I agree with that, but I, I'm not so sure that the motivation is there yet. you, the, the amount of, um, and, and, and people say you read this online a lot, but unfortunately, there's, it, it, it seems to be true that there's a large amounts of money to be made. In in the courts, uh, whether it's family court or criminal courts, Mm -hmm. and what's frustrating for me because I am somebody who's um, uh, likes to think he's up with as a lay person is up with the science. And there's so many different avenues to get to the truth. But if you if you adopt those avenues, then what becomes of um, lawyers? and judges and other court workers, they, they, they become surplus to requirement. Um, you know, the whole world and its dog uses polygraphs before you can get involved anywhere, you know, as a spy, as a, you know, a top exec in a seat, you know, in a Fortune 500 company or police officers or whatever they could call people, but, but you can't administer it into a court of law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I went to the best guy who did it all for the state police and all for the prosecution. And I flew his polygraph with flying colors and, uh but it's not, it's not admissible into a court of law, but, but the science is there now. Uh, we have, brain scans. We've got, you know, in forms of different forms of MRIs. I think Alan Alder did it on PBS many moons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been more development since that, that you can know when somebody's not telling the truth. Um, so uh, again, I, I, I hope to outline how my, um, sequence went in the, in the criminal, how she was able to do that in the hope that it will help, uh, someone else. But mm-hmm. you always put your context into it and, and awareness may be the bit that, that helps you, um, or at least you can know that you're not the only one going through it. So, mm-hmm.
0: because this is something that can happen to anybody.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Anyone can tell a lie on you and your life could be turned upside down as yours was. Yep. And what you went through was just so extreme.
1: Yep. Well, if you want, I mean, I'm happy to give you the, um, and please, you know, um, Interject with any questions uh, that you may have as we go along, um, but I can give you the timeline of what happened in terms of the criminal case, if that helps, and how actually that intersects with the family case. Um, so, um, essentially, um, prior, my my wife had abducted the children, and um, uh, she she did that for the most part, from my understanding. Still not one hundred percent clear. Um, that you know, she she wanted to live in England, go back to England. She's never liked Americans in particular, uh, mm. and you know, we kept that a big secret. And she didn't like America. She she really did want to, um, you know, to go back. But it but the catalyst was the, the death of her father, mm. who to this day, uh, me and him always had this amazing relationship, where it, it, he. I think he used to roll his eyes in the back of his head when his own children walked in to a particular place. Yeah. He would, me and him would, would, would be getting on like a house on fire. So Mm -hmm. with her father, um, it it, it is always with a deep sadness, Mm -hmm. but her mother was um, a significant part in the abduction Mm -hmm. and, and not somebody that I, all, all the rest of the family brothers and sisters that I have any, a form of respect for, so um, it, it happened, and, and this is this is how it's burned into your memory. It happened on um, Christmas Day, seven p.m. Um, 1998, and we got into a phone call um, to say a father was dying. So I did everything in my power to round up the money because that, that, those were the early days uh to to get her home and you can imagine the plane ticket at the time was Mm -hmm. thousands so she goes home and then unfortunately her they'd lied to her her father was already dead and um which was unbelievable to me and she was um away for three weeks I think it was and we had a two-year-old and a a few week old Mm -hmm. um and 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 she wasn't coming home and I knew she was getting drunk. And she went to a New Year's Eve party. And even though I regret my attitude at the time, because everybody grieves differently, Mm -hmm. um, which I now accept, I was finding it really hard to process. She could be going out getting drunk every night Mm -hmm. after the father had died. And we've got two young children at home. So that's Mm -hmm. where the discourse began. Mm -hmm. So the moment she got back, apparently it was in her mind and that of her family to abduct the children. And they, when I went away in business, I was in Boston uh, that January. That's what they did. And it took me a year to get them back. And when I got them back, I was awarded residential custody. But I wouldn't move our children away from their habitual home. But I did move out. And I went to Newport, Rhode Island. And um, But she came every weekend without fail with the kids. And she was always devastating when, uh, devastated when she left. Um, until she met the, um, through her friend. And this is a real, her friend introduced her to this guy. Um, and this guy was a friend of the guy she was having the, an affair with. So her fiance had no idea she was having an affair so the two of them were having an affair with these two guys. One of them, here, the guy she was having the affair with, the, her friend, uh, was a, I think he was selling cars or something. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure about that, but it was, it was, there was some connection. And yet she was walking around with a $60,000 engagement ring on her finger so you know it was it it was it, and to this day that guy still doesn't know she was having the affair so anyway they had the relationship and one thing leads to another and i found out about the affair and i um uh spoke with uh, my my now ex wife um and uh and, and basically took my side of the blame for it i i I made it as clear as I could that um I had um culpability in how our marriage had deteriorated before our children you know i I think we should have we should make a go of it kind of thing, and that mm-hmm. seemed to be the plan so i I had been back at the family home for about three months but she didn't stop the affair. And I didn't know she was actually, she actually told me she was at a double session for therapy, but she was actually out with him having a meal. Mm-hmm. And so then on a business thing that she had the following morning, which happened to be a Saturday, she never came home. So I ended up filing a missing persons report and the police came about two, three o'clock in the morning um, and I had no way of explaining that. So when she eventually materialized, um, in terms of a phone call, uh, her car actually uh, ironically broke down and it got towed back to, uh, closer to our home. Um, I went to pick her up that Sunday. She begged me, um, Sunday afternoon, um, somebody came over to babysit the children and we talked and she begged me not to divorce her. Mm-hmm. Um, I said I could no longer trust her. And I, uh, said I, I, you know, because of the abduction, I, I wanted to file. If I, we weren't getting divorced, I would need to file for sole custody of the children, but I did throw the caveat in, um, that I didn't want it to remain that way. I just wanted to do this for now because I didn't trust her. Mm-hmm. And that could just go back to the way it was um, if we could work this out. But I can't afford for you to have any form of custody because you'll abduct the children again. Mm-hmm. So I was doing this to protect our children again. Um, she agreed and, and seemed like, oh, okay, it was like a relief to her. So we went together on the Monday morning to the Waterbury um, Family Court. We stood there together. Uh, We filed the, um, the sole custody papers. Everything was fine. In that regard, um, um, she actually um, had uh, gone into work, which became as we get into the criminal and that 's the last part of the family section before we now move into the criminal section because that day became an an actual thing at the criminal trial. she had said in both the family trial and the criminal trial, a family trial came first, but the criminal trial came second but just in terms of the false allegations and how that week went is what we're focusing on in this segment. Mm -hmm. Um, She had said in both courts that I hadn't allowed her to go to work. Mm -hmm. So I was able to acquire her time card and her time card showed she went to work. And the jury did know that. And one jury member actually said, how could she say that if it wasn't true? She was in work that day. We we had left She had left early because we went to finish a um, um, a business thing I was doing in Newport. But we saw it as more time being together and talking, and also especially on the way back. Um, and uh, so that became a, a, um, another piece of pivotal information. What the jury didn't hear was the fact that she had called the, uh, a lawyer because of her friend. She called a lawyer on the Tuesday and she called the police on the Wednesday mm-hmm. and asked what she needed to do if she had been raped by her husband. Mm-hmm. And they told her, you've got to come in and make statements. You've got to come in. Um, of course, that hadn't happened. But if, as the records will show in the criminal case, I was convicted of raping here on the Wednesday morning. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. I was convicted of uh, raping here on the Wednesday night into Thursday morning at 1 a.m. So Thursday morning at 1 a.m. is when I was supposed to have done it. Well, how could you have called the police on the Wednesday and the lawyer on the Tuesday? So the jury never heard that. Um, but there was somebody significant, the family relations court lady, who did know that, and she was going to present that at the criminal trial. But that's when, <laughs> um, and we'll get into that a little bit too, my two attorneys who were heavily involved with the prosecutor mm-hmm. who got disbarred, and they're all, they're all disbarred at this point on different issues. Um, and, uh, that's when that whole thing uh, took over. So, um, The first time I knew when I was going to be charged or or tried for um, uh, the rape was when I was at jury selection. And the judge said to the jury, the potential jurors, that this crime happened at 1 a.m. Thursday morning. And I just looked round at my uh, lawyer And my jaw dropped and in one way I went, what? I mean, because I'd heard Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and I knew the family court relations lady was actually going to say the last representation she made to me is it happened on the Friday morning because it wouldn't have made sense to Mm -hmm. the family court relations lady, it happened on any other day because that's the day I got arrested was the Friday. And Jill knew that. So she had to tell the family court relations lady, it happened on the Friday. So I was going into that criminal trial, which again, was after the uh, family trial, knowing one, Jill said it happened on, I think the thursday which is why the prosecutors picked up on that and stayed with the thursday but she'd also said to the family court relations lady who stated it in the family trial oh she said it happened the sunday or it was the tuesday then it was the monday then it was the wednesday mm-hmm. yeah, and the last representation. story yeah exactly and the lat and and she said under oath in the family trial the last representation she made to me it happened on the friday uh, morning now my Self and that uh, uh, family court relations lady had had a conversation about that and we concurred. It mainly came from her. She said, well, that would be the day that would make sense because that was the day you were arrested. So she wanted it to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And she was forgetting what she had previously said. So you, you, So in a way, I was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking, well, this is perfect because of the family court relations lady will be able to say all of these things. So I thought that was going to work in my favor. Little did I know the prosecutors and my two attorneys very much in bed with each other. It made all the news about um, uh, the corruption and he resigned the prosecutor. I have no problem saying his name, John Connolly. And sadly for me, he's dead. Um, He died Mm. of cancer um and, and that 's another part of this uh, unbelievable story which i 'll get to mm-hmm. um, um but it, it, they went ahead with the um, with that date because they had to from the family court and there was there was just but i again I try to see the positive side of it, and I know what Sylvia was going to um when i say so the family court relations lady was was, was going to attest to mm-hmm. um so I, I, I think i think that's pretty much how the sequence of events went Now there were so many other things um and, but and uh, again interject with any uh, questions you may have marianne but there were so many other things mm-hmm. like i was taught um it, it came out in the Um, you know, in in the criminal trial, I believe, that I wouldn't let her use her car. She tried to make that as a statement at the uh, family trial. I wouldn't let her use her car. I produced all the receipts, Mm -hmm. all of the receipts, that showed me going to and from um, uh, motor vehicle places, buying parts, Mm So the car wasn't actually operational till the Thursday. And the judge, Judge Linda Monroe in the family trial found that as fact. Now, there was so many, so many of those things um, that 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 and I would advise anybody that's going through this mom or dad always have your family trial first because you can get more out in the, essentially my family trial was my criminal trials where I got everything out. I got nothing, I had a half day trial in my criminal trial. But but in the family trial, I was able to get everything out pretty much, 90, 95% of everything out. Uh, One of the other things was when she got the tow back um, with a car that had broken down when she stayed out that weekend and as the police were called and the police were called because of her friend's sister and it turns out her friend's sister who was with her in the car because she was called to give jill Jill a lift home because i had the children but i ended up coming with the children i was able to do it but her sister had called the police so the police had come along and they interviewed both of us by her broken down car mm-hmm. and uh, took it to a side, took me to a side, took her to a side and so on. And actually said to her at one point, you know, was everything okay, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. She said, yeah, everything's fine. You know, mm-hmm. you just, you know, whatever. And she didn't, I'm assuming, didn't want to say, I've been having an affair, I've been this, I've been that, and whatever. And I pointed out, look, there was a missing person's report, didn't know where she was, everything, you know, was fine. And the police were satisfied, totally satisfied. They mm-hmm. wrote a report to that effect. We asked, you know, my ex-wife, it was everything okay? She said, Yeah, totally fine, and totally fine to go home. She made a statement at the family court trial. This is amazing. Mm. She said under oath, in front of Ginger, Judge Linda Monroe, she said, I told the police officer that I feared for my life and I wanted him out of the house. And if I went, if he let me go with him or something like that, he'd kill me, or whatever, whatever she said, she said all these things sitting in the dock saying this. Mm -hmm. I had the police statement right in front of me. Plus the fact I was there, I knew what happened. And I knew none of that took place. I mean, everything was completely fine. We had two young children and I'm trying to save our marriage, not destroy it. Mm -hmm. And um, so the moment she finished and I I was conducting my own, um, uh, sadly, I'd run out of money so I could no longer afford a lawyer um i was asking my own questions and at that uh, when i brought that issue up and that moment up in my questioning i submitted into evidence the police report and the memorandum of decision that came back uh judge linda munro said uh the court finds that whilst uh, the uh um, um the plaintiff i'm sorry whilst the plaintiff um, um, said that she feared and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, the court finds us after reading the police report that she never said this to the officers. Mm-hmm. That's now found as, a, as, as fact by a judicial court. Mm-hmm. So it begs the question, why? And there was at least five counts. Why was she not? arrested on the spot, on the stand. I tried five times to interject for a judge arrest on the stand Mm -hmm. that I proved as categorical lies, that being one of them, Mm -hmm. Uh, the car being the second one. And if my memory can help me at some point, I'll remember the other two or three. Mm -hmm. And and each time Uh, Judge, the only thing she wouldn't let me do was continued on to ask those things. And she stopped me immediately. Mm. And she said, no, Mr. Coleman, no, that's blah, blah, blah. So if she had allowed me to request that arrest, my criminal trial would never have taken place. And the second thing it brings up, those prosecutors read the family court trial transcripts. Once you read that, how can you prosecute someone? The truth of the matter is, is once you're arrested, uh, especially in the United States, once you're arrested, that's your conviction. You are Mm -hmm. not getting off with it. You have to plead out to a very lower crime or it's a lawsuit against the arrest. So there was never going to be a chance for those um, charges to be dropped. Not ever. And I would not entertain it as such. So the manipulation of the, the police in that moment mm-hmm. um, was extraordinary. I had the police officer come, come up to me saying bad things to me while I'm in the cell. I'm in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. I had no clue what was going on. I'd been feeding my son his lunch when they came and forced to arrest me. I, I had never been in a prison cell in my life. My, my whole vision of things in at one second span the moment I opened that door, changed. Um, I can't begin to tell you the horrors I saw in prison mm-hmm. from people detoxing I was in tiny cells with and detoxing, mm-hmm. vomiting and from both ends. Uh, I mean, it, just the things that I saw uh, will haunt me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does an ethical prosecutor, and there's two of them, John Conley and Cynthia Serafini, how do they read the criminal trial, uh, the family court trial transcripts, and see all of these um, perjury uh, statements? Read the family court relation lady's um, report and conclude I did such a thing. They knew I passed the polygraph with the best guy in, in the area, they knew I passed all the psych and sexual testing. And the second, it's worth mentioning that at the moment, actually, and your listeners can um, can go and look him up. It's Dr. Joseph Plaud, and uh, Diane Sawyer did a whole thing about him on ABC. I think she 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 was at ABC at the time. I, I think it's called Prime Time, and she did a whole thing on it of the science to do with. Um, with that kind of thing. I was tested against 26,000 known severe sex offenders. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to put these goggles on your, like virtual reality things on your eyes and uh, headphones, uh, so you can hear what they're saying. And all your body's hooked up to, um, I'm assuming some form of computer stuff, and your genitalia is as well. And your eyeballs are being monitored. And everything you see in here, which had everything to do with from child porn to physical, uh, sexual violence to uh, being told things. And it, it was the most horrible thing in my, I passed all that with flying colors. Mm-hmm. You know, my interest was with uh, consensual um, adult females. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. you know, none, none of, uh, and, and none of that stuff at all. How can you as prosecutors read that stuff and go forward with a prosecution which is that on that side of the water that angers me and i'm hearing things on this side of the water in the uk about you know um you know they don't go forward prosecutions there's not enough convictions and 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 this that and the other it is it is just bizarre the kinds of conversations that are being have uh, that are being had um, without any form of um, uh, thorough investigation or mm-hmm. um, trial or this. It's just basically on uh, political rhetoric. That mm-hmm. you know, um, why why do those figures need to be higher and more prosecutors, more prosecution? Shouldn't it just be based on fact? Mm-hmm. Did did they or did they not that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It it it's it's getting very toxic, and it's mm-hmm. an easy claim.
0: Now you also, when we had talked earlier, uh, you had said upon your arrest, that's when your kids were being turned against you.
1: Yes, um, well, yeah, that 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 really gets into the um, the 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 deeper pit. Um, of parental alienation because uh, Doctrination is um, Doctrination is something that you you start, you continue and you just don't let go and if you're told it enough time times, especially in your formative years um, what are the choices of child that you have and where it makes me sad for them uh, this is why I won't be involved in any um, in any way, shape, way or form, even from a third party of getting back involved with them um, because they've already lost one parent. And I know I have a great family. She does not. She has a, you know, her family is poor to say the least. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have no blood relatives in the United States except for her. And, um, you know, so if anything happens to her, Uh, they're solo. And the fact Mm -hmm. that they've made it, and I think, and I don't try and think of their birth dates, it's too painful. But Mm -hmm. I think they're around the 20, um, two years apart, and they're around the 20 mark. She's just been lucky, nothing happened to her Mm -hmm. while they were still infants. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then what? Um, So, uh, yeah, that, that is the thing that will cover... Um, how the criminal um, allegations are manipulated and fostered and continues. Um, Neither side, on their side of the thing, have any incentive to change it. Uh, In the case of my ex-wife, her incentive is she'll get caught out, get in trouble, go to jail. Mm -hmm. Um, On their side is once they've made the arrest, they can't back away and um, there's no way for them to back away too um you know so it, 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 that's where that piece then you know folds into um the family um core part and how that all umbrellas into the um um into the parental alienation spectrum uh, if you can get a foothold on a story that um that really does torpedo and sabotage the other parent Mm -hmm. um then you know you're you're well on your way um to getting what it is that you want and obviously that's you know custody of the children um Mm -hmm. I, I, I you know again it, it does differ for everyone um the criminal the criminal timeline is there's a lot more to it than what what i've ex, I, I have explained it to be but mm-hmm. it, it was important to set that up ahead of of the family court even though the family court trial happened prior to the criminal trial mm-hmm. um you know, it, it did start with me filing custody, but then the criminal part took over, mm. and it just so happens I w- I I had been told get your family court trial done before the criminal case. So I pushed for that, and I got it, and then the criminal ca- case came up, and what my hope was that the criminal court would be taking judicial notice of the family court, which always in my favour. A 40 page memorandum of decision by a female judge who thought if I was guilty for one second, she would have thrown the book. I was at the most contentious. Um, uh, we were, uh, it's called the regional family trial docket. So that's where all the multimillionaire people go. It's the most contentious of divorces in the state of Connecticut. And, and it, 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 that, that, was, that judge was the one who oversees all of that. And if she thought for one second I'd done it, she would have have done things in that trial that would have simply, she would have welded the door shut. I would never have seen the light of day again. Um, But she knew I was innocent. And in fact, one of her final quotes in the memorandum of decision, which the Family Court Relations lady translated for me, because it was in legalese, Judge Linda Monroe said, the, uh, and i 'm paraphrasing the, the, uh, the, the criminal charges that will later be decided in a criminal trial are not questions that can be answered by no, are not is not something that this court can answer without questions. Mm-hmm. It was something along those lines, and apparently what that was she was saying in legalese she didn't believe a word that Jill had said, Mm -hmm. not a syllable, Mm -hmm. because that's not the kind of, uh, in other words, she was questioning everything that was being said about me, but she was also making it clear she was not the criminal court. So because of that, she could award me nothing, Mm -hmm. and Jill got everything.
0: When you went into the criminal aspect of that court, Uh, As we had talked earlier, apparently the jury, it took them two weeks to deliberate.
1: (coughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, that that I think there was one lady in particular, who in my tears, after hearing the the guilty verdict, I saw stand up and was nodding her head in tears, looking at me. And I think she'd been talked into it. mm -hmm. I think that was it. But but it was only a six jury, um, not a 12. And I had a half day trial. So that means there's no errors of law. That means there's nothing to appeal, although you go ahead with the appeals. There's nothing to appeal. Uh, You know, they don't, on appeal, they don't retry the case. It's got nothing to do with the case. The case is seen on appeal as 100% correct. So you've only got errors of law. And a half day trial, you have... Um, it, the 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 can't be uh, the, almost there's never. It, there can't be any errors of law in a half day trial. But it took two weeks for that jury to come back with a verdict. They didn't come back with a verdict. I think it was to the it, the following Thursday. It could have been Friday, but the following Thursday or Friday of the following week. Um, it it, it was. I was there every day. Um and it it was mind-numbing and then to hear the guilty verdict um just was unbelievable um there, there are more parts to my story which i don't think is for this audience um but certainly on some of my social media and i think you have the link to my uh youtube video uh, there are more there's more um information as to my alibis um as to how i couldn't have done that which again the jury don't forget the jury heard nothing the the jury heard nothing my lawyers stood up halfway and said that the defense rest sat back down um so the jury heard none of it and um but yes it took two weeks
0: yeah, that's that in itself, I, if you can't make a decision in like three days, or why did it yep. drag out for two weeks? Yeah. That shows right there that you were innocent.
1: Well, I, I think you look at it, if there's a two-month murder trial, they come back quicker than that.
0: Right, <laughs> you know, right. You
1: know, it, it's crazy. And, um, you know, for for that jury to to even... Uh, begin to think that I I could have done it. And I only put it down to, and I want to give props out to somebody here. There's somebody by the name of Dean Tong, who I'd hired as a consultant. And he told me on a phone call as I'm walking back into the courthouse, um, having been told by my corrupt attorneys that they weren't going to put a defense on um he said bill he said if you walk into that courtroom now i was right outside the door of the courthouse he said uh you're getting convicted and i'm washing my hands of you because you're getting convicted my advice is to fire them now tell the court you're firing them because you do not want uh, not to have a defense get on that stand get everything you you go out with all your guns blazing mm-hmm. and I should have taken his advice uh, whether or not that would have worked for me or not I don't know but obviously in hindsight certainly didn't work for me doing nothing um I, I if i had my choice again if anybody's in the same situation as me in a criminal case in a custody dispute um i would say do not go with a jury uh, uh, the adversarial system with a jury does not work. It is poor to say the least. These people are not qualified to make those kinds of decisions. Um, and the, the, the lawyers make it as such that it's impossible. And so therefore, they're trying to go on emotion. When you talk about the emotion of raping someone, that's a powerful mountain to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say always go with a judge trial. If you are innocent, go with a judge trial, whether it's a a one or three panel, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You cannot put that in the hands of members of the public. Mm -hmm. Um, You just cannot. But um, yeah, it it is another, an amazing caveat to my case.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was just very unfair. And I know we'll get into it in the next episode as well. Yes. Um, Is there anything else you would like to add to this one?
1: Uh, no, I I think it it it's all nutshell. I mean, we're, we're we're me and you are trying to do things to 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 present as best to your listeners as possible. And you know, I I again would say if it's my situation or other situations, you know, um, go online, uh, question the messenger always, but you know, do the research. My stuff is certainly out there. You can find uh, Bill Coleman's silver bullet on youtube um you know and there's there's a bunch of other things and i know we'll we'll give them some things from my end at at the on the very last one but um i'm sure as we go through maybe the next segment to do more to do with the family court the family trial and uh, and and that process um you know um a a couple of other things will come up of course um but no it's it's a very difficult thing to do um in anybody's circumstances with parental alienations because there's there's just so many different facets to it um Mm -hmm. and and and, you know again it's how it all fits under this huge umbrella and and hopefully one day uh, we can make it all, make that end.
0: Definitely. Well, how can people reach you if they have um, questions well, for you?
1: Yeah, whether whether um, and and I'm, as I've just said, I'm sure we'll go over some stuff. I do have um a couple of things um i have a political facebook page and that's just simply bill coleman and um if you don't already have the link mariana I, I i i'll certainly get it to you um and, and i i they'll see a photograph of me and my kids My two children, um, you know, and Mm -hmm. fathers of forever, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a a, and attached to as a um, a Bill Coleman page. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one that I um, it's like a baby of mine. I've called um, 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 false allegations Mm -hmm. um, to uh, to do with um, parents. I mean. My idea, um, and again, I'll send you the link to that. But my idea, my idea behind all of that was was simply to uh, give people um, a place where everything was in the same spot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, if they if they just go onto Facebook and they type in um, uh, alienated parents by false allegations. Um, they, they will see a big red heart,
0: um,
1: mm-hmm. and that's my page. And um, interestingly enough, well over half, half of my subscribers are women. Um, and, uh, and I hope within our next segment, uh, we'll talk about the genesis of parental alienation, mm-hmm. which I think may shock a few people. Um, but, but there is certainly a genesis and, and once you get on board with that genesis and you accept that genesis, um, it'll be easier. And, and that's probably, that'll be the piece where I'd want, uh, mothers and women to, to really say, oh, okay, you know, I've got to accept that. And that's right. But I also want to get to the fathers and the men where I turn around and tell them, look, you are not going to be parental alienation without mothers and women because there is no way society is geared to do that the only way in my view parental alienation will ever be defeated uh, will be uh, through mothers and women um there, there is there's no doubt and and what we've got to do as men um and fathers we've got to get in behind those women and there are like yourself and others there's uh, certainly enough of them but uh, we have to get in behind them and and make that happen because it, it, ultimately, besides benefiting parents, which is what we want, of course, it, it's the children and the future children that we want to have escape that 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 mental torture. Um, so, again, um, I think um, um, you know, in our next segment, we'll we'll probably cover that a little bit more.
0: Most definitely. I'm glad to have you back on, Um, and we'll talk more in depth as well.
1: Yep, that sounds good, Marianne.
0: Well, Slam the Gavel's a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Is Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again in the future here with Bill and another exciting episode. So thank you again, Bill.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Marianne. Looking forward to it.